Happy feast day of St. Melchiades. Here's a picture of him. See if we can get him on the screen. Why are we talking about St. Melchiades today? Well, it's his feast day, but it's a, ve a very peculiar papacy. It is a story of perhaps, perhaps, papal apostasy. It is the story of a long sede vacante, that is an empty papal chair, an em empty papal throne. And it is the time period of the conversion of the Emperor Constantine. Well, let me back up here. Not the full conversion, the edict allowing for the freedom of the Catholic faith. So today we're going to just briefly look at this interesting pope. And the reason we are, besides it being his saints day today, is to realize how complicated and difficult papal history can be. All right, let's begin with the Our Father, and we'll get into it. Orimus nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celis sanctificetur nomen tuum, advenia regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right. Well, again, for those of you arriving on this live chat, happy feast day of St. Melchiades. Who is? Oh, I just want to say hello to Dr. Jonathan Gamel from New Zealand. Love seeing the international representation in the podcast. Okay, let's talk about St. Melchiades. One of the very frustrating things about doing a live podcast is usually I get all my tabs ready, ready to go, all the info. And then when I open the tabs, the tab that I want is gone. So I'm going to open it back up. Here it is. Probably, maybe what happened is when I went for a picture of St. Pope Melchiades. I accidentally closed it out. Okay, so here's what happened. From the time of St. Peter the Apostle until the time of Constantine, there were 10 great Roman persecutions. The 10 persecutions, I discuss all of this in my book, The Eternal City. I just signed some copies of these, and Joy is probably already down at the post office putting them in the mail to you if you're a Patreon, if you want to support this channel and get some signed books. You can get this book and others. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Marshall. In this book, I talk about how pagan Rome persecuted the church 10 times, the 10 persecutions. The finale was the Diocletian persecution. And really the first and the final were probably the worst. And then this yielded to the conversion of Constantine, who, as we'll see today, gives the Lateran Palace to this Pope right here, Pope Melchiades, to be the cathedral in Rome. You know, the cathedral in Rome is not St. Peter's. The cathedral is St. John Lateran, literally the Basilica of Christ and John the Baptist and John the Apostle. That's the real title of it, and that is the mother and teacher of all the churches in the world. 
So we had that persecution, and that final persecution of Diocletian yields many great saints, notably St. George. And I do want to plug and put in something here. My book Saint, about St. George and Constantine hit number one again. It's a historical novel. If you want a historical novel, check out my book Sword and Serpent, which I don't have a copy of with me right now. But I'm glad to say it hit a number one bestseller in its category on Amazon. Thanks to everybody buying it again this year as a Christmas gift. Check it out at Amazon.com or if you're on Instagram, hit the uh, link tree and you can go to the books. St. George and many other saints that you recognize, dozens and dozens of saints, come from this time period. And St. Melchiades, today's saint, was an African. That's right, an African pope. He was the pope from the year 311 to 314. So just three years. You remember the Edict of Milan of Constantine, which gave Christianity, Catholic Christianity, legal status in the Roman Empire. That happened in 313. So the pope who oversaw this major shift in the history of Catholic Christianity was Pope Melchiades from the continent of Africa. And he was most likely a Berber, the same ethnicity as St. Augustine of Canterbury. These are the people on the northern coast of the Mediterranean, or the Mediterranean, the northern coast of Africa on the Mediterranean. Now, he came after a period that is very controversial with a pope named Pope Marcellinus. There was a tradition going into the 300s that Pope Marcellinus apostatized. That's right. During the Diocletian persecution, there is a tradition, and it's in, you can see it in some icons. Um, it gets written into the, I think it's the Symmachian forgeries, that the Pope apostatized, committed idolatry, and the clergy come and they say, this is according to a tradition, the first see the Pope can be judged by no one. And so what happens is that Marcellinus imposes penance on himself and repents publicly and then retains the papal office. The Donatist heretics often referred to this legend, this tradition. St. Augustine says it wasn't true. But I think it's interesting to bring up because it brings us into the question that I often talk about here on the Taylor Marshall podcast. Can a pope, can a pope lose the papacy? Can the pope lose the papacy through heresy? Can the pope lose the heresy by being in schism with the entire church? Um, for example, it was either Cajetan or I think it was Suarez who said if the pope excommunicated every single person... <laughs> Uh, that would himself depose him. In other words, if he deposed all baptized people and excommunicated all baptized people. So can a pope be deposed? Does he fall from the papacy by heresy, by schism, by apostasy? Apostasy is denying the faith. Um, it's a hard question. And I honestly can only cite authors saying various things. But the first time it's ever handled actually happens during this time period. Now, Pope Melchiades, and sometimes you'll see it Latinized as Miltiades or Miltiades. 
uh, he was part of that circle of Pope Marcellinus. If you've read my book, Sword and Serpent, it's a historical fiction. Um, in that book, I actually depict St. George as receiving the sacrament of confirmation from Pope Marcellinus in a catacomb. It's a pretty cool part of the novel. I don't want to do any spoilers. Um, but anyway, I have that in the book. Pope Marcellinus uh, features in the novel. Now, there was a sede vacante. Lots of people talk, like to talk about sede vacantism. But there was, if I did my math right, a about, we don't know all the dates exactly, a two-year sede vacante during this period. Why? Well, there might have been controversy about Pope Marcellinus. We don't know. Of course, there was raging persecution. This was one of the times where if you were elected a pope or elected a bishop, you were 90% positive that you were going to become a martyr. They were killing the clergy. They definitely wanted to kill the popes, the bishops of Rome. Again, this is the 10th and final Roman persecution under Diocletian. So, Pope Melchiades is elected pope after a, a about two-year set of vacante. So there was two years, no pope. Time of persecution. He's elected. And then you'll remember that Constantine had the battle at the Milvian Bridge in October of 312. And then in 313, they proclaimed the Edict of Milan, which gives legal status to the Catholic Church. What else did Pope Mochaides do? Well, according to the Liber, the Liber Pontificalis, he also said that Catholics should not fast on Thursdays or Sundays. Not fasting on Sundays actually goes back to the apostles. It's very ancient. He also established the papal custom of the fermentum. What is the fermentum? The fermentum in the early church was a custom in Rome where the pope would break a piece of the host or pieces of the host off and then by a deacon using a special carrying case would take this host to the other parishes in the city of Rome so that they in their masses could be linked to the mass of the pope. It's called the fermentum. There's actually a holdover in the Roman Rite where the priest breaks a piece of the, the host off. And in the traditional Latin Mass, he says, the peace of the Lord be always with you. Uh, what is it? Pax vobiscum. Uh, what is it? Peace of the, semper. I can't remember what the Latin is right now. Peace of the Lord be always with you, which is what Christ says at the, in the evening of the resurrection and drops it in the chalice. That custom, liturgical scholars say, derives back to this practice that was ratified by Pope Melchiades. Constantine comes in, and he does two important things during the pontificate of Pope Melchiades. The first thing is he gives the Lateran Palace, which was the palace of the Empress Fausta. And he makes that the residence of the Pope and the seat of all the administrative work of the Bishop of Rome. It's converted from a palace, it's a basilica style, into the church. And this is, and then of course the, 
the next pope, Pope Sylvester. And there is a tradition that Pope Sylvester baptized Constantine. It's very complicated. In fact, if you go to the Lateran baptistry, there's a giant obelisk outside. And if you read the Latin, it says Constantine was baptized here by Sylvester. Uh, the historian Eusebius says that Constantine was actually baptized by an Arian bishop, uh, Eusebius of Nicomedia, out in the east. We won't go into that today. The other thing that Pope Melchiades did is there was a schism in North Africa. Remember, Pope Melchiades was from North Africa. The two parties were divided. They were in schism with one another. One party said that if any of the clergy in that area during the Diocletian persecution um, had apostatized, denied the faith, uh, betrayed the lady, that their sacraments were invalid and that anyone who received sacraments from these people, notably even baptism or ordination, they would have to be rebaptized and reordained. So the Donatists basically said the worthiness of the sacraments is connected to the, to the worthiness of the minister or the priest or the bishop giving the sacraments. This obviously creates a major crisis because if you were baptized by one of these bishops and he later de denied the faith or he, later denied, he denied the faith and later you were baptized him, you're now worrying, am I actually baptized? What am I going to do? So these two groups in North Africa were called to Rome by Pope Melchiades, and they held a trial. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why would they come to Rome? Well, A, the pap this shows early on that Rome and the papacy are the center of the church. The Bishop of Rome believes, and so do they, that he has the authority to judge this situation. Constantine says, the emperor, the Roman emperor, that Pope Melchiades gets to make the judgment because he's the successor of St. Peter and that Constantine, as the secular emperor, the emperor of the secular world, would then enforce the decision of the Pope. This is the first time in church history where you have a king, a monarch, an emperor who says, hey, I'm going to submit this theological issue to the church. And when the church decides... I, as a civil leader, am going to enforce the decision of the Pope. This, this was the practice in Catholicism, beginning with Pope Melchides, today's saint, all the way up until Vatican II. Vatican II, as you know, makes all this lax. And this is one of the big debates about Vatican II, is how can it be that the state would give rights to those who are opposed and warring and fighting against the Catholic Church. Not even Constantine, who wasn't even baptized, did that. So a council was held in 313. This was in the month of October, October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And Pope Melchiades ruled against the Donatists. He said, nope, there doesn't need to be rebaptisms or reordination. If they were done, in the proper form, with the proper matter, with the proper intent. This is just classic Catholic teaching. Those bishops, those lines stay in place. In other words, Melchites actually chose what appears to be the more lax position. And then Constantine enforced that. As the emperor, he took away the churches of the Donatists and gave them to the Catholic Church. 
He enforced the decision of the Roman Pope. So that's today's saint, Saint Melchiades. We're not talking about modern day popes and modern day controversies. We're going back 1700 years and seeing how this whole church state thing began to emerge after a two-year set of a Conte with a pope who may or may not have apostatized and then with a emperor who converts and we still debate what that conversion meant because you know if whether he was baptized at his death by an Arian his role in the Nicene Council his establishment of the Basilica of St. Peter at the Vatican the Lateran St. Paul's the Basilica Church Martyrium in Jerusalem, discovery of the Holy Cross by Our Lady, I mean by St. Helena. Uh, all these things, it's a giant spider web, but this sets up the way Catholic Europe and the Catholic Church will operate until Vatican II. And it arises from a very complicated moment of history. Just to review, if you came in late, the 10th and worst persecution, the Diocletian persecution, which produced martyrs like St. George. Maybe Pope Marcellinus apostatized, maybe we, he didn't. There are two traditions. It seems that the Liber Pontificalis allows for him having apostatized. Then Constantine has some sort of epiphany, revelation after the Battle of the Milvanian Bridge. He establishes Catholicism as a recognized religion. He gives the Lateran Palace to the church, to Pope Melchiades. And then Pope Melchiades begins to make decrees in the church, even in another continent, the continent of Africa, and Constantine enforces those decisions. I guess I'll close by saying, does this sound like Catholicism today? You know, if we had been Catholics over a little over 100 years ago, it would be our experience that there was an emperor and there were Catholic kings and there were Catholic nation states that publicly and officially recognized the Pope, recognized the church, recognized holy days and saints days. Um, on Good Friday, during the liturgy, at the Exalted, we would have all been praying for the Roman emperor, the Christian, the Catholic Roman emperor, all these things. And it all began to be dissolved in the early 1900s. And then really dissolved, manifest, manif a manifest solvic co uh, coagula, a dissolving and a bringing back together in the 1960s in the Catholic Church, when it seems that even Paul VI is on board with the secular voices of the 1800s and the 1900s saying, you know what, let's get rid of this synergy that Pope Melchiades and Constantine established in 313, 314. It's complicated, isn't it? All right, friends, thanks for watching. And uh, let's pray a Hail Mary, and we'll ask, we'll ask Pope St. Melchiades to pray for us at the end. 
nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pronobis peccatoribus, nunc et or mortis nostre. Amen. Sancta Miltiades, or pronobis, nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, you have a blessed day. Get deep into history. To, as Newman said, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. It's also to cease to be ignorant. So church history is complicated. Sometimes we think it's always easy. If you lived in 311, 312, 313, 314, 315, it's pretty complicated. It's pretty complicated. All right, thanks for watching. God bless you. Pray the rosary every single day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. We'll see you next time. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. Thank you and God bless. Oh, wow. Sophia Maria. Thank you. Very generous. God bless.